Thank you, Mary Ann. Good morning. I got to tell you, this is great. It's great to see you all, and it's great to be in the Lord's house to worship. Um, and I uh, just want to assure you, we are committed as, we, as things are changing here to try to continue to provide a, a space for uh, social distancing and, and those who aren't quite there yet with the vaccinations. And, and we're, we're figuring this out. We're going to get better. Uh, but it is good to see you and good to be in, in worship with you. It's my pleasure to introduce Mark Severson to you this morning. He's coming to us as our, as our guest preacher. Mark is the director of missional congregations with Serve Globally. Uh, that's the Serve Globally mission priority with the Evangelical Covenant Church. Mark is not a stranger to ECC. He brought a message here back in 2018 when his wife Beth was here to share uh, some evangelism training with us. And at that time, Mark was also able to meet with uh, our missions commission and also some of our campus missionaries. So, so Mark is a familiar face. So prior to his position uh, with Serve Globally, Mark was the pastor at Hillcrest Covenant Church in the Kansas City area for 14 years. So Sunday mornings in the pulpit are very familiar to him. And we're blessed to have him this morning. And we're thankful, Mark, for your willingness to step into the pulpit and bring God's word to us this morning. Thank you, Kurt. And some of you probably with the masks don't realize that Kurt actually had a goatee on, right? <laughs> I mean, just think of all the things that have been covered for months and months and months of time that are now being revealed as we uh, remove our masks. I must say to you, it is an absolute pleasure uh, to be with you here this morning. And that's a typical greeting, right? Some guest comes in and says, I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. But actually, I really am. I absolutely mean that. It could not be more true. It's been 14 months for me since I stood behind one of these in a room like this. Uh, most of the work that I do is with leaders, with congregational leaders and pastors and mission leaders, so I don't often find myself in these places as much as I used to, but it's good to be back uh, here with you again. And it's good to know that you've released uh, your pastor for a sabbatical. Uh, I was in ministry, in pastoral ministry, for 27 years, and uh, it's easy to forget uh, the challenge that is, challenges that are involved in ministry in a congregational environment. In fact, I think for so many of us that now find ourselves as people that are going to a church, um, that um, we find our own places where we feel comfortable with people that think like us and act like us and just are involved in the same sorts of concerns that we are and forget that the church is actually made up of a congregation of entities and groups. We don't always, we don't all see things the same way and we can retreat to those with whom we feel most comfortable but ministry is about engaging with everyone and it can be really exhausting so I just want to commend you uh, for releasing Stacy to just get away and be refreshed around the United States around the world actually we are seeing people pastors involved in ministry that are absolutely depleted and broken, and the wisdom and grace you have provided in your congregation uh, to protect and to strengthen uh, the people that are serving you in this way is just to be commended, uh, and I, I thank you for that. Well, I was asked to speak on the subject of generosity. You heard the text already, right? And I must confess as I begin, I enjoy uh, a number of things. I enjoy my work, I enjoy my kids, I enjoy the season of life with my life. I do not enjoy speaking on topics that make people, that make people grumpy. <laughs> right? Repeat after me. I will not be grumpy this morning, Mark. 
Good, good. Just a few of you. Most of you just kind of laugh like, ha, 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 ha. Just a few of you said, I will not be grumpy this morning yet. But I'm glad to be with you here this morning because generosity has marked this congregation. Uh, it, it is a part of the DNA of your congregation. But we still know it's, it's a challenge. In fact, just this past week when the president released his tax statements, uh, there's been all sorts of conversations about what's appropriate as far as generosity is concerned. And Christianity Today just came out with an article. It's online at least. I don't know if it's in their most recent uh, hard copy issue. But in it, they actually quoted uh, Lilly Foundation uh, here at Purdue, Purdue in Indianapolis, and doing assessments of people that give. And uh, they noted this, that 5% of all charitable giving, uh, 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 that, that only 5% of those that give to charitable institutions uh, tithe, that is, give 10%. And for the masses, 95%, the number is less than that. Sometimes it is considerably less than that. And here's a challenge for us. For Christians, that 10% actually is described as the starting point for us. It is tithes and offerings. And so what is the starting point for us in our identity as people of faith and those who follow Jesus and are committing to his purposes and values in the world? 10% is the starting point. And for those, for those who give to charitable organizations, that is 5% of the general population. So that's a sobering reality, isn't it? And some of you are already skewing towards grumpiness right now, right? That I would even raise that. I want to talk this morning about, I want to address this with you. And I want to talk about uh, with the generosity we see here. Two truths about generosity. And then two anecdotes, a- a- anecdotes for grumpiness, actually. How's that? Let's just mention two truths about generosity from the text and this, then just two antidotes for generosity. But I will not do this on my own. Uh, and so it is appropriate that we pray again and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts as we engage in this conversation that more often than not can lead us in directions that we don't want to go. Would you pray with me? Dear God, you said at the end of this text we wrote this morning that this is an indescribable gift, this thing, generosity. And frankly, in a world that's filled with uh, uh, invitations to acquire more and uh, to be told that we deserve it, this is a tough one um, to hear what it means for us to follow you. And Lord, I, I pray that we would walk out of here not with an increased sense of obligation or perhaps in some cases embarrassment or shame. But Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here with a sense of your presence and an invitation into a calling into a life that grows deeper and more beautiful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So two truths about generosity that I want to mention from the text. And the first is this. Generosity generates wealth. Isn't that interesting? We actually see it here as we look at verses 10 and 11. Can we pull those up, Sam? Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, this might sound counterintuitive, right? That your generosity 
generates wealth. In fact, it might lead you back to that, that, uh, that request for giving that you received in the mail or the person you heard on the radio or on TV. You know, went something like this. I remember these messages. We're a million dollars short in our budget, and if you will provide for us $100, God will multiply that tenfold and we'll make $1,000 out of it. You know, you've heard stuff like that, right? And I would just, you know, my cynical side says, well, that's interesting. Why don't you just send yourself $100,000 and it's covered just like that? You know, just, just this sense that there's a sort of a, a quid pro quo, a sort of a relationship or encounter that happens. But let's consider what Paul is actually saying here. There are ways to be wealthy beyond bank accounts and second homes beyond the stuff we collect. Let me see if I can help you understand this. We've got three daughters and two sons-in-laws. We're in a season of life where we actually enjoy their adulthood, the things they think about and the conversations they have. We're particularly grateful that they like to spend time to us. And we spend time together. We've gone on trips together as a family. We often take them out to eat and have these rich conversations over dinner. Beth and I look at each other and we say, can you believe it? Our kids actually want to spend the time with us. And we walk out of restaurants uh, considerably poorer in terms of our finances than when we walked in there. But Beth and I would say, we are considerably more rich. Do you see? And Paul is saying this in the text. The generosity actually generates wealth, not in the same uh, ledger line item, but in other ways. He actually says, rich in every way. The result of generosity towards God and towards God's concerns is expansive riches in every way. I wonder if you might take some time to list the ways wealth can be measured in your life, in my life, beyond my bank account and the car in my driveway. What are those ways? Paul actually references some of the other categories of riches. One is richness in peace and contentment. We know the text, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. How do, how do we actually even realize that he will supply our needs? By trusting him. When I was on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, there was a young man who was a part of our chapter at Marquette University in the Milwaukee area. And he was committed to following Jesus. And, and tithing was an element of this. Even, I know even for college students. But Jimmy was all over this. And he wanted to be a person that was generous towards God and towards the concerns of God. It wasn't long after that. Actually, it was a few years after that. Jimmy went to uh, medical school when he became a doctor. And he and his wife were living in the Chicago area. And I got a random call from Jimmy one day. And he said, Mark, I need some help here with this. He says, you know that text in the Bible where it talks about tithing? Does it really mean that? And I said, I'm pretty sure it does, Jimmy. He says, but do you, do you know what that is right now? So here's the backstory on Jimmy. Jimmy was generous with his resources when he was college, and he could be because he had a family back home that loved him and cared for him. It was like he had a back room, the support. He, he knew he could be generous because he had all his family behind him. And, and now he walks into adulthood, and he's a doctor, and he said to me, Mark, here's the deal. 
A tithe for me is like a brand new computer every month, and we need one. He says, that generous? And I said, I think that's what God means because here's what God wants to do is he wants to remind us that we not only have a family that is there for us that we can trust, God wants to become your family. God wants to be the one that you have this absolute assurance no matter what happens, he's there for me. To have that kind of faith and contentment and peace in life, oh, that's rich. That's why God says treasure-sized giving because it's not that God needs it even, but that what God longs for for you, and I mean every single person in this room, young people as well, what God wants for your life is that you know he can be trusted to be rich in every way. This is why generosity generates wealth. There's a second category, and it's expansive relationships and friendships. In chapter 9, verse 14, the result of being generous is that there are actually people around the world praying for us. They're actually part of us, and they're, they're praying for us. Even, even as we worship in this space, there are people in Karawa, Democratic Republic of Congo, that are giving thanks for you this morning. That's the kind of richness of relationship we have, to serve alongside of others, to learn from them what is life-giving for them, to be challenged by their faith, to understand others and to deeply connect with them in friendships. Where your treasure is there will your heart be also. And there's a third category of it, and that's increased knowledge about God's Hard to understand more clearly what matters to him. I think for parents, one of the challenges I know that we faced with our kids was there was always, there was never enough time for everything. There's one day in church where we heard about a ministry downtown, Milwaukee, uh, working with uh, young people who, some of whom didn't have parents or just single parents that were living in situations where the parents couldn't focus on helping them to learn and to coach them along the way. And they were asking if there were people that would go down to this ministry center in, in, in Milwaukee and tutor some of these young kids. Beth and I looked at each other and prayed about it and decided this is what we ought to do. Come on, girls, we're going to go down. Every Monday night, I can tell you, when we were scrambling to put dinner on the table and then get in the car and go down to Milwaukee, we would look at each other like we can't just keep doing this. And yeah, there's just way too much stuff going on in our life. Uh, every trip, almost every trip down to the ministry center, Beth and I would look at each other like, I don't know if we can keep doing this. And then we would get down there. We would work with Kendrick and Kenneth. And our daughters would be involved with each other in tutoring, tutoring them. Kenneth worked with Audrey and with Kate, and Kendrick worked with me and Beth and Meredith. And our kids, they noticed disparities that they had never seen before. They formed relationships. They learned to encourage others in their learning. They worked together as sisters. 
The trips into the city were almost always filled with the certainty that we did not have time. The trip back was marked by looks between Beth and me as we listened to the conversations in the back seat and sometimes entered in on them and said to one another with our looks and with our voices, there is no better way to spend our time than this. Rich in every way. You know, this is not all that mysterious. It's not like we give of our time or we give of our resources and all of a sudden a genie pops up and says, you've got three wishes. These things are actually directly connected with one another. They're actually the functional, normal result in a world in which God is alive for people who choose to trust him with him. And there's one more, uh, significance. It talks about generosity in this passage. We would abound in every good work and that thanksgiving would be give to, given to God. That my life actually is marked by significance because of the mundane job I'm involved in. There's a way that, that's, that, that those resources that I collect can be leveraged to actually help children in the Democratic Republic of Congo. You know, just a little bit ago, Sarah was, the illustration was Sarah with the lemonade stand. Guess what? That's not just money. That, that lemonade saying actually helps people put food on the table in Lafayette, some of whom give thanks to God when they sit down for supper. That's a significant life. Sarah has decided she wants to live a life of significance. Coming at Kids Congo, yesterday morning, through the walking and running that occurred for World Vision. Christian mentioned it was for World Vision. No, you know what it's actually for? It's actually for Jean Paul's friends that live next to him in Kerala and long to have an education. Perhaps even a young girl who takes this perilous journey six kilometers out and six kilometers back to get water and it takes her all day, all day, and she can't go to school because of it. And the perilous journey that some of these young girls have to deal with absolutely every day as they make that journey to that place. Guess what? It's different in Kerala now. They're actually young girls, young men, young women that get to go to school. that get to live in safety because that water spigot is only 100 yards away now. And you see what happens? We participate in this stuff. And there's a sense of significance in our life that was never there before. We just had a conversation just last week with some of our sisters and brothers, partners in ministry in covenant churches in India. We've seen it on the news, haven't we? We're actually having conversations with some of these leaders. One particular church network in Pune, India, they have seen seven pastors die of COVID in the last several months. One of the pastors said in the, in the phone call, he said, we, we don't have any more tear, tears. Uh, we just take one foot, step one foot in front of another. You know, we've been given the invitation actually to provide resources because we can't be there. They said, people, people are asking the question, where is God? I don't, I don't believe that there is a God. He said, anything that comes out of our ma- mouth won't matter right now, but our shoulder will. We give people shoulders. And in the midst of giving people shoulders to cry on, some of them begin to wonder and believe that there's actually the possibility that they could be precious and cared for. And so we're actually, we've actually drained almost all of our uh, backup resources, resources that your church has generously supplied, just drained them 
and sent those resources so that some of the people involved in ministry in Pune and, and um, Bangalore actually can be vaccinated so that they don't have to risk their family and their own lives as they represent Jesus in those places. Do you see, do you see you're doing that. That's the significance of your life. Your generosity actually generates wealth to be rich in every way. You can understand why the Macedonians, one chapter earlier, pled with Paul in the midst of their own poverty to contribute to the needs of others because this is what they wanted for their life. Second element of this is that generosity accompanies faith in Christ. It actually accompanies it. We see this in verses 12 and verses 13. Generosity is not the means of your earning favor with God. I can promise you this. God doesn't refer to your tax returns when he determines whether he will love you or not. We are beloved by God. Nothing you do can cause God to love you any more than he already does. That's why you see crosses in churches and on jewelry and on arms. It's a reminder that I am beloved by God and there's nothing I can do that will cause him to love him any more than he does right now. That's not what this is about. When we embrace Christ, Paul refers to this embracing as newness of life, which manifests itself in many ways. Transformation actually occurs in you and in me and all those who do embrace new life in Christ. And it continues to occur as we live our life with him and for him. And one of those manifestations, evidences of new life, is actually generosity. It's a core identifying trait of Christ. We see it here in this text when we see what Jesus did to so generously give his life on behalf of us. It, generosity accompanies faith in Christ. It's an expression of genuine faith. Paul addresses those that feel compelled or reluctant in verse nine. In, in chapter nine, verse seven, he says, each person should decide in their heart what to give. We read that. Not, don't, don't pull out your bank account and say, what can I give? After a careful audit, calculate what's available. Decide in your heart what to give, he's saying. Now that word heart you, in our language is kind of this sort of emotional decision, right? You know the word in the Hebrew and in the accompanying Greek actually meant so much more than that. It doesn't mean just mere emotions. It means all of who you are in your identity. Paul says this, decide in who you are as a person what to give. That's how you decide. Don't do it reluctantly or out of compulsion. Just, just remember who you are. Remember who you are. Generosity is not determined by time available or resources in hand. Generosity is determined by my identity. And the more I grow into Christ-likeness, the more generosity will characterize who I am. Live out our identity. And when we live out our identity, ah, I feel like I am who I am. I feel like I'm actually living out who I was meant to be. Cheerfulness follows that. It's not just be happy when you give it. It's, it's give congruent with the character of who God made you to be and watch the cheerfulness that accompanies that. Now this brings us right to this whole area of what it means for us to, um, to do this without being grumpy. It doesn't mean generosity isn't something we, need to pay it, we, we don't need to pay attention to. Our bodies are made to resist sickness, but we still take precautions, Right? 
Our life in Christ is made to be generous, but we still need to make sure that we put ourselves in positions where we can live that whole thing out. Paul here, uh, uh, um, he actually uh, hints at the challenges that we might face in living out this aspect that's core to our identity. In verse five of chapter nine, he warns against gifts given grungily. In verse six, he talks about the danger of stingy giving. In verse six, he also talks about um, warning us not to give with a sense of reluctance or of obligation. Paul is talking about people of faith. He's talking about you and me. When we're grumpy sometimes when someone stands up and talks about this. Sometimes I frankly get grumpy when people talk about this. What's wrong with me? Well, there's this thing. I think it's a, it's a, it's a virus out there and it is called grumpy giving. And it's a danger for me. And I would guess it's a danger for you as well. So, what are the antidotes? We actually see them right here in the text. Two, I'll mention them quickly. One is, generous people have generous companions. They hang around with people who encourage them to live the way they were meant to live. We see this here. Verse two, we see it actually talks about the Macedonians and the Corinthians. Guess what? They became friends of one another and they spurred one another on to love and good deeds. That's actually in the scripture. You see, when we hang around those people, when we rub rub shoulders with them, it helps us to see the hearts of others and say, I want to be like that too. I forgot what it was like to be that way. Yes, I want to get back to it. Generous people have generous companions. Paul tells the Macedonian stories about the Corinthians, and he tells the Corinthian stories about the Macedonians. This is not manipulative. It's based on data, and it's based on history. This is who you are, remember? Look at each other. Rub shoulders with like-minded friends. My wife is a generous person in our family. I have resolved that any time, we actually made a verbal commitment to each other, any time either one of us decides to be generous, the, uh, the, the answer of the other person is yes. And most of the time, it's me saying yes. And I love that. She reminds me of it repeatedly. The global church is also such an encouragement to us. We took some leaders pre-COVID down to Ecuador on what we call a revision trip, learning from the global church. We were involved and we had to leave early, actually. There were protests so significant during that time, I believe it was in October, that the government relocated away from Quito. They actually picked all of their government and up and left because indigenous groups were swarming into the capital. Tens of thousands of people were marching on Quito to draw attention to new policies that deeply concerned them that threatened their livelihood and their families as well. The streets were closed, shops were closed, the airport was nearly closed. We were advised by our covenant brothers and sisters at that place, get on the next airplane we could, and we did. Because the next day, Monday morning, <coughs> the protest was going to fill the city of Quito. Do you know what the covenant churches did after bidding us goodbye? They opened the doors of their churches and their facilities, and they, they passed out food and water and medical supplies to those who were visiting the capital to protest. Not because they agreed with them politically, but because it was the human thing to do. That's the reason. We just do this because there are people in need and they're vulnerable and we will walk alongside of anyone in a situation like that. That generosity, that inspires me. Did you know we just heard that the church in Mexico, who is going through all sorts of trouble right now, financially and in many other ways, the churches in Mexico are now raising money in their church services to send it to India? And and we have leaders in Mexico right now that can't make any money because 
they, 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 the, the, the ways that they normally um, uh, make their livelihood are gone to them. And uh, they go out into the streets and open their shops so that they can raise money at risk to themselves so that they can send that money to India. Right now, they're doing it right now. Do you see? Do you see? I don't know what that does to you. It impacts me. This is who we are, people say to us. Let's go for it. As a sidebar, I've never met a generous person who was upset about how much time the church spent talking about money. Never met a generous person. Why? Because those generous people know how important it is for us to know how important it is. And then the second aspect of this, generous people make plans to be generous. This was mentioned in the chapter we read this week, and we see it here too. Paul knows the importance of readiness in verses two through five. It says in verse two, you were ready to give. In verse three, I am sending the brothers so that you may be ready to give. In verse uh, five, it says, we don't want, I don't want to find you unprepared or unready. In verse five, we actually see this text. Finish your arrangements for the generous gift, then it will be ready. One of the things that gets in the way of my generosity is I'm not ready to be generous. I have packed my life so full of stuff, I don't have time for anything else. Do you know what my mom used to do on Sunday mornings? She would put a roast in the oven that was more than our family needed to eat because she anticipated that when she got to church, somebody there would want to be welcomed into a home and have dinner with us. See, she was ready. When our bank account is so strapped, when our budget is so maxed out, there's no way you can be generous. You may want to be generous. It may be a longing that you have. Oh, Mark, I just want, it is not uncommon for people to long to be generous, but they've made uh, uh, commitments that encumber them from being rich in every way. What does it mean for us to be ready to be generous? We've talked this morning about resources like our finances and our time. The model of Jesus also is being ready to be generous in regards to our forgiveness of other people. You see, generous spills out of us in so many ways. Am I ready to forgive? Am I ready to give? Am I ready to allocate time? A couple of questions for reflection here. Beyond your accounts and possessions, how wealthy am I? How many of those every ways of being rich are absent from my life in ways that I long for them to be more present. Second, do you long to be rich in every way? What steps can you take today in that direction? What specific thing might you do to be more ready next week? Who spurs you on in terms of your generosity? Have you told them how much they matter to you? How essential it is that they share their heart with you and how helpful it is to you. Are you ready to be generous in terms of your time and your talent and your treasure, in terms of your forgiveness, generous in terms of your praise, generous in terms of your appreciation? It's a hallmark of our identity of faith in Christ. I understand in just a couple of hours you're going to have an annual business meeting. Wouldn't it be amazing if the congregation stood up and said, we want to be rich in more ways than that? And then you said, I want to be ready for the calling that God has given us as our identity as this church to a place that is filled with the glory of God because we are filled with the generosity of Christ.
I long to hear what happens in your church. Lord, thank you for these young people, men, women. Thank you for uh, children that uh, are involved in generosity. Sarah and the many others she represents. Those that ran yesterday and the many others they represent. For your word, for its instruction to us. Lord, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, not in terms of feeling shame or guilt or obligation, but in terms of knowing who we are and knowing we can trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.